The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, this is um, week two of six in our conversation regarding relational intelligence. And, and some of the conversations we're having are, are based from Steve's book, which is right there in that counter, R.I., um, and while we're on the subject, I guess I'm on the subject, all the resources that are for sale here, none of the proceeds go to the author. The proceeds go to humanitarian projects around the world for wells or schools. And um, so when you purchase an item here, that's what that's happening. And so Steve's book is also uh, for sale. And this is a lot of the conversation is coming out from this book. He's a terrific guy and had a lot of good things to say. Have you noticed there seems to be almost uh, two types of people in the world? And it's not just male, female. Um, It's those who like movies and those that don't. um, It's people that seem to either able to read a tone and those that can actually even change the tone. I mean, maybe there's a third class, people that are death tone. But but, but, but there is those two, you know, they, they, they... it's a kind of person that really seems to know intuitively what's, what's going on. But they even have an additional skill set of being able to alter and change the energy in a room or in a relationship. Have you been that person where, um, you know, you're in a relationship, a friendship, it's a neighbor, um, and you know something is wrong. You cannot crack this egg, Right? And you, you're just not quite sure how to, how to figure it out. So you, you're able to read the tone, but you're not able to change the tone of, of, the, of the situation. And usually what we do, if we're not able to change the tone when we assess that something's wrong, is that we try to do everything on the outside. I need to maybe fix this, do that, this, that, and the other. And so if I maybe make these changes, or I think this is, I think this is one, one, one reason why people get married. It's for someone to blame. <laughs> you know? This way, if something goes wrong with my life, <coughs> you know, you can do that. Um, we usually, usually, it seems seem to, but not you two guys. I'm sure you guys are married for love. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but uh, the rest of us have done so far, you know. But, uh, but the point, and there is one, is that... Uh, we tend to think it's usually the other person. It, it actually is kind of a brave, even a scary move to take responsibility for relationships. And you've heard me say a few times that, <clears throat> that the world has adjusted to you. It's already morphed to fit you. And I know that makes seem kind of grand and vague. So if I bring it down to your, the, the world of your workplace, the world of your home, the world of your family relationships, the world of your neighbors, the, the, that's the world that's kind of morphed to you, but so has the world world morphed to you. And so it is, um, it's being able to sort of take your inner energy, who you are, your character, your vibe, and, and use it to alter what's out here. Now, I know this, it's going to sound a little zen and kind of odd there, and it is, but, um, but you know those kind of people. They bring a certain gravitas, a certain presence into a moment. And you recognize, and you're not really able to put your finger on it necessarily, but by coming into a room 
or becoming visible in a moment. You know, um, when someone sees that they're at the table or they're sitting in the corner, all of a sudden there's a shift in the energy and, and people want this person's feedback or their input. And some of you, perhaps, when you're hitting it on all cylinders, you've been that person. You are, you walk into a situation, it could be maybe the, the, the disarray of a, of a baseball team, like Doyers, or it could be like, a, you know, a, a moment perhaps in, in, in a business meeting or, or a student projects. And you walk in into that moment and you just sort of intuitively know what's off. And then you even have the additional skill set of being able to alter and change it in a healthy way. Now, I'm not speaking about manipulation for your own personal gain. I mean helping folks step into a healthier, a productive, positive moment. But here's what I'm going to suggest to you. It starts, that, that journey starts inside. And I'm also going to suggest to you that, that, that what I've seen and what I'm convinced of is that when you... <clears throat> to a large extent, your relationships are a mirror of what's happening on the inside. So to, to an extent, um, you know, if you're not all present in the moment, or even when you are all present in the moment, there could be such fragmentation and compartmentalization that's going on for a while. That you just can't be responsive. You can't read the tone. You can't change the tone. You're just sort of, you know, reacting instead of responding. And uh, so we're going to take a look at a, a, at a verse today, a story that what Jesus is part of, and take a look at what happened here and, and begin to look at the, the kind of the inner energy. Right? Maybe another way of saying character, your soul, your being, the core of who you are. And see how that actually is what affects everything else. Period. Uh, and I'm going to suggest something else and, and, and just keep an open mind. There comes a point where you just got to stop blaming your family. I, I used to, you know, I know this may be shocking. I used to be a bit of a sarcastic individual. And um, I'm sorry, I'm not meant to be funny. I used to tell people, you know, they would be speaking about, you know, mom, this, I wasn't held, my dad. I, I get it. There's some stuff that's really real. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to totally disparage that, but sometimes you just need to go to the spiritual, mental Home Depot, right? Buy some wood, build a bridge, and get over it, you know, just move on. It's like this, like the record player, it's just kind of looping. And you know the conversation, you know the person, you give it like 30 seconds, you know, and there it is. They start complaining about their folks. This coffee's good. My dad never made good coffee. You know, that kind of thing. It's just everything is always going to go right back to that record. So I'm going to suggest that there comes a place where you need to um, stop blaming your folks, your family, your marital status, your, your job, your income, your race. I didn't get a fair, you know, okay. Let's just assume you've been the victim of injustice. Now what? All right. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. I want to set the tone a bit. <clears throat> Jesus is, um, is responding to a question about what happens in the afterlife? What happens when you die? And so there's a group of men who are known as Sadducees. And uh, this is not a, a, a reaction or a judgment. But the best way to feel who these men are would be to say they are highly educated, wealthy, uh, let's say, liberal or flexible in their theology. Okay? Oddly enough, they weren't 
they did not embrace the idea of existence after your physical death. So materialists, in a sense. But, you know, even a person who doesn't believe in the afterlife can still be a good person, as far as actions. And so, Jesus responds by answering the question behind the question like he normally does. And by the way, let me give you a little tip when you're reading the biographies of Jesus. There's about 3,000 plus questions he's asked. He only answers three. And so he, he usually responds to the person by not taking the bait of answering the question and asking them a question that gets to the core of the matter. And he brings all of himself into the moment, able to respond and you know, be dialed in to the person. And so in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now verse 32. I don't think this is, I don't think this is a moment where the, the, the teacher of the law, this other rabbi is thinking, hey, I agree with you, Jesus. I just think he's having an aha moment. Where all of a sudden it's beginning to dawn on him. You know, and, and some of us have been in those moments where, you know, you, uh, perhaps you came from a high church tradition a very liturgical tradition. Maybe you had a, maybe you were just kind of a superstitious spiritual person. You had to do things, you know, to, you know, a naranja here, a pata of some animal, you know, and uh, that's a foot and orange for our Caucasian-speaking friends. And I, I think this is the moment where, um, that he's just, he's understanding something that finally clicks with them because he realizes, I, I've done stuff I, I, I've done my novenas, I've done my prayers, I've done my thing and this, that and the other. I, I mean, I recall once in Mexico City when my, my family, we visited family out there. And, and, and uh, this is probably 1975, 79. So it's fairly recent. I mean, it's not, we're not talking about there, was, there wasn't automobiles, right? And seeing men and women, rational, functioning human beings, walking on their knees, for over a mile or further to demonstrate their, their intensity and, and their devotion to God. And it left an indelible mark in my mind. Because, see, I was thinking, if this is what I needed to do to, to be integrated, to become whole, I was willing. I mean, I meant that. I mean, I, was, I felt I was that kid that was coming apart. I was willing. I just didn't know if it would work. I, mean, I was that kid that had so fragmented his mind by just nonsense. I mean, have you ever s- sensed how fragile your sanity is? Like you feel like you're slipping, like you really are, like in that song, kind of like standing at the edge of yourself? And if I just take one step, I am gone. And so I think for this, in verse 32... He realizes, I've done all this stuff, I'm, I've tried to be the good guy, and I still feel incredible darkness. I'm still battling with arrogance, I'm still battling with, this, with fear, I'm still, whatever it might be. 
And so he has that aha moment. And so uh, back to verse 32. Uh, well said, teacher. You know, you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other than him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you're right. This, this is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, for a teacher of the law to say this, I may want you to feel the weight of this. This is his, kind of his life. It's his life to understand and help people understand when they have to sacrifice an animal. And, be, and unless you forget the, the feel and the smell of this, you have to understand what a bloody, bloody religious tradition this was. Again, think of a desert environment. So, you know, a pigeon, a, a, a lamb, a, an ox, a, animals that were bled out and cut and then chopped and burnt. And, you know, there would be the smell of, you know, kind of like sometimes in the bathroom, you find the evidence of burnt hair from some flat iron that was left on too long. Okay? Multiply that with moscas, you know, flies. And, and you get a feel for the, the kind of the, the, the messiness of this faith. All right? And it's been his life to help people understand when you do this, it costs you a pigeon or this, and, you know, and, and he says, gosh, you know, you're, you're right. This, this tone, this, this, this soul positioning is more important than all of these sacrifices. Now here's why I think it's an aha moment. Look what Jesus answers. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you know, you, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You know, it's funny how we don't allow people the dignity of, to travel into a, a kingdom moment, into a, a Jesus moment. You know, we, we always want to close the deal somehow for some reason, you know. And, and Jesus here acknowledges, and you know, you're headed into a direction that's good and healthy for you. So, I guess this question raises for me, the question maybe some of you have been asking yourself to a degree, is like, you know, what is it that makes us human? Now, for the Sadducees, they were materialists. You're just you, you, you're, you're a physical moment, and when that physicality ceases, so do you. Your consciousness ceases as well. You cease to exist. And I've got to tell you, if I bought into that religion, I wouldn't be here Sundays, right? If there's no if there's no punishment, no justice, there's no sanity in my life. I would be thinking. Some of you perhaps are dualists where you, you're aware that there is something ethereal to you. That there is something that exists that, that is not part in your body. That you, that you couldn't dissect it and discover it. It just seems to have a force apart from your physicality. But it's also a part of your consciousness. Others of you, perhaps because of religious traditions, you're Trinitarians. You, 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 you think of humanity and every individual, man, woman, as three parts. Right? What's odd to me is that Jesus speaks to four realms. Four realms of our individuality, of, our, uh, of who we are. And, um, and it kind of raises questions, right? Because, you know, we were kind of exposed and taught that there's three. Now, here's what I'm going to say a little bit about this is that even before we begin to kind of take a look at the words, that Jesus says something about that each of those realms has to be completely connected and centered with God for us to actually function in a way that allows us to actually care for other people. Um, 
And I think he also says something that, that between the connection between loving God and being loved by God has a way of actually integrating us. Look, I think we intuitively know, so I won't insult your intelligence. I think you guys already know that most of us at different stages of our lives, we live fragmented. You have said it once if you've said it a hundred times. I feel like I'm coming apart. I need to get my marbles together. You know, or, or, you know I, just feel, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in scattered, shattered, cherube, you know, you're a Stones fan or something. And, or you, you just know that like you, in fact, what I love lately is the language that we have where for that scattered, you know, maybe undisciplined sort of managing of our lives, we're just ADD. Um, and I wonder if maybe we're just not perhaps lazy in how we're managing our lives. I, I, I'm going to suggest that. I mean, you, you can arrive at your own conclusion, but let's consider the possibility that maybe we have the potential to live an integrated whole life by experiencing a mystical moment with God. And that's kind of a kind of a crazy idea. But to break it down maybe here first where we step into that moment, you know those um, well, Lily is not here so I'll tell the story. There's a tattoo she has. No, um it was college. I was in a relationship, unhealthy, with this woman when I first met Lilia. And uh, she was walking through the mall, and uh, I didn't even know who she was. I, my, my boss said, hey, I hired this cute Hispanic girl for you. I'm like, okay. You know, did, does she know? I mean, <laughs> was that part of the job application? And there was just this immediate connection. I didn't even know who she was. Then I saw her walk into the store where I worked. Uh, well, she might be a customer. And then it just, I clicked. I knew who she was. That's that girl this guy's hired for me or wants me to meet. The next day, uh, I was working when she was working. And I can only tell you that there was this instant connection. Now, I want you to understand, there was some, there was some, we were a little bit fluid in how we were managing our relationships back in the day. She was seeing somebody. I was seeing somebody. But we weren't married, you know. All's fair in love and war. She was seeing some jerk-off doctor. <laughs> oh, oh, was that on? I'm sorry. <laughs> Once I turned on the mojo, it was the doctor had no, no cure. There was nothing. Nothing. He had nothing. Hey, two weeks after she broke with him, he flew down in his plane to talk her out of it. Pfft, what a waste of gas. <laughs> hey, dude, just keep circling and go back, bro. You got that? Dude, come on. <laughs> Somebody wondered, she married you? Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, he's a doctor of philosophy, so he was unemployed. At any rate, um, any rate, there was just, um, we, we, when we spoke to each other, there was just this immediate responsiveness. And it was almost like a soul-to-soul connection. We just were, I don't know, we were both like immediately there for each other. 
I can't explain. That night, after I spoke with her, went back home, got in trouble with the girlfriend. She's all weirded out because I was out with somebody else. And um, I remember thinking, I'm going to break up with this girl. I'm going to move back home. I'm going to marry Lilia. So six weeks later, I asked her to. And, you know, we did. And what, 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 what reminds me of this story is, is how there's those moments when somebody you just immediately connect with and you feel without even them saying much to you that they are completely 100% there for you. There seems to be a responsiveness. There seems to be a, a dialed in, a centeredness to you that it's, you immediately have an emotional investment. Now, I don't mean a weird sort of crazy love stuff. I mean, I'm talking about something that actually seems to be healthy, where you walk away a better person. In fact, they seem to be the kind of people that when they share and speak with you, and you see it in their eyes and their emotions and their words, they like, how did you know that about me? And, and, and they help you unwrap and untie the knots and see areas that you just couldn't understand before. There's a responsiveness. There's this moment that they seem to have that connection that allows it to go to a catalytic moment to take it to another healthy level. It's a very positive, energetic way to live. But I want to drive this home by telling you that some of us... Okay, let's let's just put it out there. Some of us mismanage our sexual lives... And think that my emotional, my mental, and my spiritual life are going to be okay because I'll just keep this separate somehow. You're really kind of kidding yourself. I mean, it's okay. You can be honest. You know, you've allowed certain parts of your sexuality to overrun and and break out of the borders and the areas that it should be. But at least be honest with yourself and say, yeah, this is not an area that's working well for me. Some of you perhaps have had... Uh, you know, you're, you are ruled by your emotions. And, and this is just, um, this is the person, I, and I've had conversations with a couple people this week, where what I feel becomes reality. It's almost that, well, I feel this, and so I interpret the entire world through the, the lens of my emotions. Others, whether it's, We're afraid to move forward. We're afraid to connect with God because I think maybe we intuitively know we're stepping into a fire that will consume us. Or just lazy. I don't want to. Too much effort. And and this is why, and by the way, I'm speaking to myself here at this moment, that that I also recognize when I see areas of my life that I want to work on and I want to give myself an excuse, well, you know, I'm older now. It's too late. Or this happened to me. Or whatever. I realize, you know, I'm just being lazy. And even if I never achieve an excellent moment in this area of my life, the movement forward is worth the journey. So now if you're fragmented in some areas and you, you bring this you know, fragmented self to a moment, you understand you're all, it's only a partial you. It's a partial you in a relationship. It's a partial you in your work environment. It's a partial you with your family. It's a partial you in trying to read and understand a tone. It's a partial you in attempting feebly to change the tone. Because you're just not all together. And the way to kind of get it together is starting in the centering with God. Now please hear me. I'm not talking about not being naughty anymore. Because it's actually harder than that. 
I'm speaking about having those courageous, spiritually naked moments of, of the open communication with God. You're looking for the treatment and the therapy to be made whole. You know how sometimes we just need to be around a person that loves us? Follow? Right? You just need to, and for some of you who had a healthy dad relationship, you just, sometimes you just want to call your father and say, just want him to tell you it's going to be okay, right? Sometimes we just need the physical presence of somebody. You know, like there, there's moments where my wife and I, we, we just, I don't need you to talk to me. I just need you to be here at this moment with me. Because I, we're having a conversation that goes beyond words. Now, if, you can, if you've understood those moments, or if you've ever experienced them, then understand this is what's happening in an in a exponential manner with God. When you can experience His love for you, when He knows everything about you, it has a very liberating effect on your life. Period. And sometimes, even in those moments when we are attempting to connect, I love what Paul writes in Romans that sometimes we're just... I get you. God says, I get it. I got it. I got it. Well, let's talk briefly about some of these realms that Jesus spoke about and, and see where it leaves us. The heart, all your heart. You know, um, you might have been in those conversations or those moments. Perhaps you were on the team, the coach, the piano teacher, the violin teacher. Put your heart into it. And, and you're trying, your effort, but somehow, really, you're not in there. And, and, and you've noticed those moments when, sometimes when you do give your heart to somebody, it, it, you find that you make a connection and, and you're just like more willing to give yours to the other person. I'm not speaking just of romance. Just, so keep that off the table for a second. I'm speaking about friendships and connection. You know, guys do this. Maybe the camar- it's the camaraderie and or the esprit de corps, for those of you who took French. The, it's a camaraderie that exists in teams and organizations. These guys care for each other. They have each other's back. It's the, it's the camaraderie and, and, and friendship that I've seen in law enforcement. It's the kind of camaraderie and friendship I've seen with people who are part of a group in a club. They're, they're, they're in with that group. They're, they've given their heart to this, you know what I mean, to those people. But when you feel someone's not giving theirs to you, you're not really inclined to give it to them. This is just how it works. Well, actually, if they don't give it to you and you're still inclined to do that, it's called unhealthy, clingy relationships. Okay? And when we feel that someone cares for us, there's an immediate responsiveness and engagement that, that is just incredible. Now think about it if it also comes from a good character, how healthy that is. Soul. Now, by the way, I'm putting this in human context, but Jesus is saying it has to start with between you and God. All right? A soul. I, I, this, this is one of those areas that I find, you know, gosh, how much time do I have? You know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, talk about the soul. This very fragile, powerful, spooky part of us that exists. In fact, I know you've had the encounters of your own soul. You, you know, you're having those conversations and those moments with yourself. And yet you're also listening to it and watching it at the same time. Don't you find that crazy? Okay, I'm the only one. Um, in fact, I, I, what I... <laughs> my wife will tease me because sometimes I'll step outside and I'm just kind of wandering on the lawn. 
And she looked at, honey, who are you talking to now? Various people. You're not one of them right now, though. And, and I have these conversations going on in my head, and sometimes they stack. What's weird is what someone jumps into the other one, like, oh, okay, stop. Now I'm really gone far off the edge, you know. But it, there's this other life force that seems to be part of you that is you. In fact, here's what I know you've, some of you have experienced it, because it might have even caught you off guard. How many of you like to ex- experience art in a gallery, a museum, right? Don't you love it when you walk into, you turn the corner and you see a piece or it's an installation and it just, you, you have a second, it takes your breath? And even for a moment, you almost respond in tears and you're just like, where did that come from? Because there's nothing here spoken, there's no words, there's no, it's just maybe, it just, it's a piece. You're beginning to experience almost even the soulishness of this moment. It's speaking to you. All right, here's my confession. Samuel... Barber's adagio for strings. When the violin's crescendo, I've heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. I always weep like a baby when I hear that piece. Some of you are that way with lyrics. There are movies that you'll see it. The sa- you'll, you know the ending. My wife will watch You Got Mail the fifty millionth time. When he turns the corner. It's already starting. It's like clockwork. And then when she says, uh, I hoped it was you, it's over. But let me tell you, I know what, what sort of ignites your soul and starts it to feel and come alive in those moments is that when it's ignited by God's fire. Now, I, again, as I said earlier, I think there's times we kind of resist that. Even if you call yourself a God follower... I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid of stepping into those moments with God because, well, He's God. I mean, I don't put it any other way. He kind of knows. He sees. He consumes. He illuminates. You ever been that person where um, you, uh, you don't go to the doctor because you don't want to know? Because some of you have this misperception that, well, if I don't know, I can't be sick. Okay. We're stupid that way, aren't we? I, I, I have a dentist friend. His wife's here, so I'm going to be very careful. I resisted going for years. I just, you know, I would take pain medication because, well, if I don't see a dentist, I must not have cavities. You know, it's like I was treating like gays in the military. Don't ask, don't tell. I don't want to know. It's like you're not responsible for the information if someone told you. But, you know, we're not dealing with reality in a very healthy way there, are we? At any rate, when we, when you invite God, when you ask God, when you speak to God to awaken your soul and cause you to wake up from the sleep that you're in, you've ignited it. You've made it alive maybe in a way that has never been before. And you experience some beginning of integration to begin that will actually begin to pour out into the rest of your life. It's sort of like they, you know, those cool sci-fi movies where you know they, it's a drop of health and, and it starts you know going out through the rest of. It's kind of what it's like. Okay, someone with your mind. My wife has asked me this question a number of times. <clears throat> it's not, honey, do you love me? It's, honey, where are you? 
And I, I could be, we're like right here talking closer. And you know it, right? You know when that mind is gone, you're physically present, but you've left the room. I'm doing it now. I'm not even here, honestly. And uh, what's funny to me is, uh, it's, it, by the way, there's no shame in this. I just, this is a reality. It's watching faces as I'm speaking here. We ought to turn the camera back on, unless you see what I'm seeing all the time. Because I can see some of you, and, and it happens. Uh, it could be a joke, it could be a thing, and you, it's like squirreling up. You're just gone, and you're, you're luxuriating, you're having conversations, you're doing stuff, you bought clothes, you ate, and, it, and then you come back. Uh, you, you could see it on your faces. It's funny sometimes what, how it happens. And I go, oh, hi, how are you? Welcome. Um, oh, you got a scarf. It's nice. And, um, but by the way, I do it too. I, I've been in classrooms and places like where I can't leave physically. I mean, I guess I can, but it's to be like incredibly rude, which I'm surprised I still don't do it. So I'm like, well, I'll just leave. <laughs> but we do it when we talk to people. I wonder why our relationships are, are, are funky. We're there physically in the moment and we're not, we don't even value them enough to pay attention. And it's so incredibly disparaging in this county. And we wonder why some of our relationships are tough. But you know, it's not just the peer-to-peer. You know what we do? I, I, as parents, we do it to our teenagers. And this is why when I said to you a couple weeks ago that when Jesus spoke about, hey, you know one way people are going to know that God exists? Apologetics might be helpful and all that. Yeah, I get that. But here's how they're really going to know. They know by the way you love each other. And love each other the way I've loved you. And so when I think about the way God loves me, is I think about he takes me seriously. I've never felt that I was annoying him, that he wasn't there. God, God, oh, you're not here, you know. God, where are you? I mean, I, I, I know that he's dialed in when I'm speaking with him. And that he's centered, that, we're, that there's a response. And yet, we're so easily distracted. And now we have technology to help us with our distractions. But this is not a rant about technology. Because, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I love technology. But I know that there's one thing that, that might be the easiest thing to understand about, about distractions. It's, it's the thing that God has often tried to encourage us to take from us. You know, don't experience this moment. Let me help you with that. And that's the word fear. Fear has a way of just being debilitating to your soul, to your mind, your emotions, even physically. How many of you have actually physically, like, you, you know, you reacted to fear? You're just so nervous and worried about stuff that happened in the past that you can't even change, or stuff that's going to go on in the future that you can't predict, and it consumes you and you don't even live in the moment. And so when you're trying to engage your friends or family or relationships, and you're, first of all, you're fragmented and you're not even there. And then you know, it shouldn't be a surprise when things are not working right in your relationships. But fear is just one of many distractions that we have. In fact, now, I guess, I'm not discounting the fact that this could be a very possible clinical you know, diagnosis, but I mean, who isn't ADD nowadays? And I, I, I just think, and I see this for myself, sometimes I just, I'm just lazy with managing my mind. That I've allowed distractions to distract me to the point of dis- distraction in my distractions. Um, and so part of what, what Jesus was, and he was answering this fellow, is I look, man, 
you need to get an opportunity to get a hold of your thought life, taking it captive, actually being, you know, a big boy. And making that a focused connection to God. But I also, and by the way, when you, when you, when you, when you make, when you're going to start, some of you guys are going to start to do this, and I get that. Understand, it's like, kind of like anchovies. It's really an acquired taste. But if you don't get a hold of that, and, I, and I'm talking about just thought life that's naughty or lustful or really unhealthy, I'm just mean able to stay on a thought. I read a statistic. This was nuts. The 30-second news flash ads are not considered too long for, for most audiences. That's 73% of our, of our population. Too long. We can't stay focused 30 seconds on a news story. Now, it, it, I, yeah, I don't want to get into a rant about that. I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe if we're not able to give 30 seconds to a single thought and hold it, that it's going to have an effect on our ability to hold and maintain relationships. Certainly going to lose our responsiveness. A strength. Hey, I'm not going to insult your intelligence um, by listing off all the things you shouldn't do with your body. Um, some of you, you know, I guess I'm going to start. Some of you know better. You do know better. You just don't want to, and I get that. Just be honest and say so. You know, I, I don't want to sleep... I don't want to have to, you know, I want to eat as many cheeseburgers as possible as long as I want with a shake. Uh, I, I don't mind mismanaging my sexual life. I, whatever it is, okay, at least be honest about it. That, at least don't be a liar, you know? <laughs> you know. You don't have that fragmentation going on as well. But it's foolish to think that you can mismanage your physicality and how you eat and how you rest and how you exercise and, how you, and, and all of that part of that makes you physical and not think it has an effect on your mind, your soul, and your spirit. That's foolish. It just doesn't work that way. Now you know that, and somehow I think perhaps there's a maybe a. Um, it's definitely Greek. It's because it's not Middle Eastern or Christian that there's a sense that somehow your body is not quite as important. It's your soul that matters, your spirit. And that's not what Jesus thinks. And so to somehow disparage that with, you know, getting, like when you're sick, actually, you know, getting rest, when you're not eating well, to start thinking about eating well. I mean, you know, you, you only get one machine. You know what's funny to me? I know some of you guys, you take better care of your car than yourself. You know exactly the additives, when, the time you're supposed to change the oil, check the fan belt, and, you know, you eat such junk. And maybe when you're in your 20s, you can still process it. It's going to catch up to you when you hit 52. So far, not to me, with Alberto's and my craving for pancakes, but I, you know, I just, it, I, I know, I feel it. It does. All right. Allness, this living an integrated life like Jesus talked about, increases your ability to help respond correctly because you're able to read a situation correctly. You're able to know the right response to a situation. Uh, you're able to hear and listen in a way that you just haven't been able to do so before. And more important, it's able to take something that's actually positive about you out into changing a tone. 
like some of those people you know that, that just seem to have a weight to them. They have a gravitas. They have a presence about them. And it's hard to put your finger on it. I'm telling you what it is. It's, it's coming from here first. So part of, the, I guess, part of a relational intelligence is controlling your inner core character, your, your internal energy, whatever you want to refer to it as. Having it integrated by a connection to God that spills out in your relationships around you. You are not, I'm convinced of this, you're just not going to have the healthiest, best relationships if this is fragmented. Because you're just bringing pieces to the table at that point. All right, let me, let, me, uh, let me pray and close this portion of the gathering. Father, thank you that, um, you know, in the midst of this conversations, maybe it's raised more questions than others, but what I know is that you have an answer. That you know the right response to us and our questions. Would you help me and my friends uh, be a little fearless in honestly assessing where we are in these realms of our lives? Are we people that are managing our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our bodies in a way that integrates us? Or have we been careless, mismanaged, or just plain lazy, and they're disintegrating. Help us connect the dots between our actions and results, our actions and our attitudes and our relationships. Help us in just today, just today to be aware of what we do well and what isn't working. That we can be people that are completely together, whole, individuals of integrity because of you. Help us to be those people. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.